Science is boring? Well, obviously, this is your first week to diffusion. This week, we'll be looking at the science behind boredom and we'll also be taking a peek at the upcoming National Science Week. I'm Jackie Pepper, but first, let's hear what's happening in this week's science news with Vanessa Gardos. Have you ever been standing at the urinal after downing a few beers and wondered where that strange voice is coming from? Well, if you're not a man, as 52% of us tend not to be, I guess you haven't. But those of us that do stand up to take a whiz may soon be wondering where that voice is coming from. (laughs) Coming to a stainless steel chop near you is the Wizmark Communicator. This is a small waterproof collar that fits around the drain of the urinal, which can detect when someone is close to it. When it finds someone who's stepped up to the mark, it will start playing the pre-programmed message it has stored in it. This might be a commercial for beer or possibly even a public service announcement. In fact, Nassau County in New York has ordered hundreds of these little guys to be placed in urinals all over the place to play an anti-drink driving message to people who should possibly think about not driving home. Joanne McGarry, the coordinator of Nassau County's anti-drink driving program, says... This is perfect for the target audience we try to reach all of the time and have difficulty doing it. Later models may even be able to detect alcohol levels and adjust the message accordingly. Most of us have experienced deja vu before. This is where you're sure you've either seen something or been somewhere before. Dr Chris Moulin from the University of Leeds believes he has discovered the cause of the opposite of deja vu, which is jamais vu. Translated literally, jamais vu means never seen and is estimated to have happened to over half of us. Dr Moulin announced his findings at the 4th International Memory Conference held in Sydney last week. He says that you can get a sense of what jamais vu is by simply staring at a word for about 60 seconds. After a while, it starts to lose its meaning. According to Dr Moulin, musicians can get jamais vu in the middle of playing a familiar passage. It's the sensation where you wake up in the morning and turn to the person next to you and feel that they're a stranger. Moulin's study into jamais vu was able to recreate this sensation by asking subjects to write a common or simple word 30 times in 60 seconds. After this, almost 70% of subjects reported that the word had lost meaning to them or that they were not sure they were spelling it correctly or even that they had been tricked into spelling it a certain way. These are all symptoms of jamais vu, however they are also symptoms of other ailments such as schizophrenia, where people suspect someone they know well is an imposter and out to trick or hurt them. The next stage of his research will see these tests performed on subjects connected to neural imaging instruments. And lastly, in this week's news, don't you just hate it when you go in for major surgery and you come out with bits of equipment left inside you? Sadly, it's something that happens to us one in every 10,000 times we go under the knife. There's been cases of surgeons leaving all sorts of interesting things inside patients, including scalpels. However, the most commonly mislaid piece of equipment is the everyday sponge. 
Given the choice, I know I'd choose the sponge over the scalpel any day. However, it seems that sponges are so commonly left inside people that researchers at Stanford University School of Medicine are currently testing sponges that have radiofrequency identification tags embedded in them. When surgeons suspect they've left something inside someone, they have to do some exploratory surgery to find it. If, in the example of a traffic accident victim, where they had to operate on multiple areas at the same time, this can be difficult and sometimes too risky. So sometimes they just leave it in there. A sponge embedded with a radio ID tag could easily be located with a simple scanning wand, so the patient would not have to be x-rayed by an embarrassed surgeon. Apparently, other advanced methods are being investigated, such as counting all the equipment before and after surgery. And if you've just joined us, you're listening to Diffusion. Now, I know that I have been so bored before that I thought I was going to die. And no, this isn't me being a drama queen. But apparently, the world of science thinks that boredom might actually be good for us. Over to you, Mark. What do you do when you're bored? Do you send emails to your friends? Do you play cricket in the hallways of your workplace? Do you Photoshop pictures of David Hasselhoff? Or do you obsessively clean your house? Not that I have done any of these things. Everyone has different ways of coping with boredom, and although most of us think that boredom is a bad thing, there is some support to the notion that boredom is a naturally occurring emotion, and far from being suppressed, it should be embraced. Dr Richard Raleigh, a psychology lecturer from Edge Hill College in Ormskirk, Lancashire, has embarked on a scientific study of boredom, hoping to find a scientific benefit for the emotion. Boredom can be a good thing, he said to the Guardian newspaper. Boredom is natural, so let's deal with it. He said, in psychology, we think of emotions as being functional. Fear, anger and jealousy all serve a purpose, but they're painted in a bad light, even though they exist for a reason. It's the same with boredom, which also has a bad name. We get bored because we get fed up when we have nothing to do and feel the need to be productive. We feel bad when we're not productive, and that's what boredom is associated with. His theory is that when there is nothing to do, when we are not being subjectively productive, we can relax in preparation for the next time there is something important to do. He stated that boredom is something, it's not just switching off, it can be useful. When there's nothing rewarding going on, we conserve energy so that when we want to re-engage, we can. There's a balance between doing something that's rewarding and doing something that's rewarding but not being happy about doing it. This has relevance for how we deal with bored kids. Do we try to occupy their time, or do we allow them to be bored and figure out what to do themselves? Will allowing them to be bored ultimately be good for them? In a more serious aspect to the emotion, boredom can also occur as a symptom of clinical depression. It may also lead to impulsive, possibly excessive, actions that serve little purpose. For example, studies in behavioural finance have shown that stock traders with nothing to do can start over-trading, that is, buying or selling stocks for no good reason. And this now brings us to that strange biological phenomenon of the yawn. We all do it, especially if we are bored or tired. But does it actually do anything? There is a now discredited theory that it is caused by an excess of carbon dioxide and lack of oxygen in the blood. 
Another hypothesis is that yawning is used to regulate body temperature, or that it is caused by neurotransmitters in the brain. However, these theories do little to explain why we yawn when we are bored. But for whatever reason we do it, it seems that yawning may be a herd instinct. We've all seen people yawn sympathetically with each other. One theory suggests that yawning synchronizes mood behavior amongst animals, such as wolves howling at the moon. It signals tiredness to other members of the group so that sleeping patterns and periods of activity can be synchronized. So if you're game, try yawning in front of your boss and see if you can make him or her tired. Thank you, Mark, for that not so boring report on boredom. and loved ones don't fully appreciate or understand you? 
Are you always faced with blank or bored looks at dinner parties when you attempt to start a debate about the intricacies of slime moulds or make a play on words involving a quark? Well, lament your lot no more, my scientific friends, because National Science Week is approaching fast. Tilly Boleyn spoke to Danielle Quinn about the most exciting week in Australia's scientific calendar. National Science Week obviously is a national event happening right around the country. It's a fantastic um, opportunity for anyone with any interest in science to find an event in their local area and attend and listen um, or run their own event. So we have lots of people who get out and think, hmm, maybe I'll do something this week. So we have schools that run things, community groups that run things, libraries that run things, um, a lot of science associations and, of course, universities, et cetera, et cetera, running open days, lectures, all sorts of things. So that's basically what Science Week is. Sure. So the lab coat isn't a prerequisite then? No. Last year we did try for the lab coat and we actually found that that offended a lot of scientists that like, we don't wear lab coats, excuse me, scientists are regular people. So that's probably a good message to get across that we, we got slapped on the knuckles for last year to say, you know, really? come in your lab coat. And it's like, no, no, we will not come in a lab coat. We want to be scientists as scientists are. Wow, because one of the things that I miss the most from being a research scientist is actually having the white lab coat and being able to wear it round. That was one of my favourite bits. Yeah, it doesn't matter if your holes are in your jumper or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are some of the big events that are coming up in National Science Week? Um, well... For the couch potatoes who don't actually want to get out, especially if it keeps raining and it's disgusting, probably one of the cool things that you can get involved in is a national memory test that's actually being run on the National Science Week website. You can go online and take the test. It's going to be testing three kinds of memory, short-term memory, recognition memory, and prospective memory. That um, third one's the one that helps you to remember future appointments and things like, oh, I'm meant to go to the physio next Thursday or that sort of thing. Um, also, there's a lot of tips on how to improve your memory and links to other sort of memory science within that. Yeah, I actually went online, did the national memory test, and I rated very, very well in some sections and terribly in other sections. So it was not, not completely surprising, but um, it was good. I do encourage everyone to get online and do that. And the results are going to be announced in National Science Week. Is that right? I think so. I think um, I know that the part of it is that they send you a second little reminder bit or, or something that you meant to remember to test that long-term memory. Um, and there are prizes at the end. So it's to go into a draw to win a three-day holiday in Alice Springs because yeah. this year's theme is based on deserts and desertification. So it's to recognise that, I suppose, if you're going to go to the desert. Yeah. Something you'll remember. <laughs> Hopefully you will actually remember a trip if you win it. Hopefully you don't live, live in Alice Springs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so and there are some international guests coming for Australian National Science Week. Who are they? Yeah, we've got two national guests. Um, the first one is, I think, really exciting. Um, the guy's name is Brian Cox, which probably means very little to most people. It meant nothing for me. But when I read about him and found out a little bit more, first I found out that he used to be in some electronica act called mm. D-Ream. And I don't know if anyone knows <laughs> the song. I'm definitely not going to sing, but it was like, things can only get better. Yeah. I... And I was quite impressed that they actually toured with Take That. You're, I don't know. You were impressed? Well, I thought it was quite weird that this guy not only did that and then turned around to become a high-energy particle physicist. That's what impressed me more than the Take That bit. And if anyone's a Dan Brown fan, this is the other bit that got me going. His, Brian Cox's work is based in the CERN laboratories in Geneva 
in the particle accelerator under the ground where the scientist in Angels and Demons was murdered for the work that he was doing on Big Bang Theory, and this is what Brian Cox is also looking at, is Big Bang Theory. So what's he coming to do? Um, well, in Sydney, he's going to be doing a couple of events. Um, they're all associated with the Ultimo Science Festival, which is happening in Ultimo with ABC, UTS, the TAFE, and Powerhouse Museum. Museum. Yep. Um, so a kilometre of science, isn't that what that's, the, one of the tags? Oh, that's a good one. No, I hadn't heard that. Um, so Sunday the 20th of August, 2pm, he'll be on at Powerhouse Museum doing a talk. And then 6pm, for the people who would rather do something a little bit more laid back, he's going to be at UTS's Glasshouse Bar um, with Bernie Hobbs and Paul Willis from ABC doing a, a bit more of a casual chat about life, the universe and everything. So Nice. And for all those female scientists out there that like boy bands, get on down and see <laughs> one of those. Um, and it's great because we've got um, the British Council sponsoring his tour of Australia, so that's fantastic to, mm. to get that support for National Science Week as well. The second national speaker that we have, her name's Margaret Wertheim. She's a noted science writer and commentator. Apparently she's the author of a book called Pythagoras's Trousers, which is a history of the relationship between physics and religion. Hmm. Um, so um, that's quite interesting. She's also the author of a book called The Pearly Gates of Cyberspace, a history of space from Dante to the internet. Quite a broad range of interests there. Um, her, her background is in pure and applied physics, maths and computer science. And um, she's going to be in Sydney... 17th of August, again with Ultimo Science Festival, I think at Powerhouse again. Friday the 18th of August, um, during the day, 2pm, she's actually going to be doing thing with the women in the physics at UNSW, and that's more about women in science generally and careers in science and that sort of thing, especially for women. So that sure. will be really interesting too. So which event are you personally looking forward to the most? Um... I'm not really sure. I, I, I think I have to do the national memory test. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, because I'm a bit of a lazy person at the moment as well, I think um, I'm going to go online and vote for my favourite scientist at the Eureka Prize People's Choice Award because mm -hmm. um, I really like actually just looking up what scientists have been doing what and I usually find that quite interesting. So that's probably one way to see who's doing what and then I can give a, a little vote for my... Favourite. And how can people go online and vote for the Eureka Prizes? Okay, that's through the Australian Museum. The Eureka Prize is run by them. Australian Museum website is amonline.net.au and then you just go to the Eureka section and that's that'll tell you what to do from there. Great. Yes, so that sounds good. Ultimo Science Festival, I've already mentioned it twice, and since we're here where we are, I think that's probably worth a mention. It's going to be the huge. It's just getting bigger it is, and bigger. It is. So if people want to look at the events that uh, they can go to during National Science Week, they can go to the, science the website? Week. Yeah, yep. Science Week website is um, scienceweek.info.au. It's got a really good setup now that you can pick what you're interested in or what age group you are or where you are. You don't have to search through every single event through mm -hmm. Australia, which makes life much easier. So you can find what's really your cup of tea in your particular area. Sure. And if anyone wants to register an event, they also go to the same website? That's right. Yeah, it's really important to register an event because we don't know what to publicise unless it's on the website. Um, you get lots of great promotional gear, T-shirts, bags, stickers, tattoos, all sorts of things. So registering an event on the website is really important and also it lets us know 
what's on so we can all attend the event because it's not much point <laughs> running the best tour of your laboratory and no one knows it's on and no Ex- one shows up. <laughs> exactly. All right, so people should go to the website to see what's going on, register their events, get some publicity for their events and then go along to everything that they can in um, Science Week, which yeah. is from August 12 to 20. That was Telly Boleyn speaking to Danielle Quinn, Science Week coordinator. And now for some news that didn't quite make the news. The David's got a story on the ultimate in gizmos and gadgets, but if you were thinking about buying this for that someone special, well, the batteries might cost you an arm and a leg. David, what's happening? Well, if you're alarmed at the price of petrol these days, spare a thought for Tomohiro Kamiya of the Tokyo Institute of Technology. He's just become the first person to fly in a plane powered entirely by 160 AA batteries. A battery-powered plane? AA batteries, the same you use in your torch. and that's Yes, up. an incredible thing, because not only have they got this plane to fly, they've got it to take off under its own power. It wasn't launched off a catapult or anything like that? No, no, no. pushing it? No, like they, they the tested it that way, days. but it took off under its own steam. <laughs> Gliders are sometimes launched off catapults. Are they really? Are you just making this no, up? they are. Okay, well, this one doesn't need a ramp. It doesn't need a catapult. 391 metres, 59 seconds, and reached nearly 5 metres in height. And it's now the official record holder for air travel powered by dry cell batteries. Imagine how far they could have gone if they'd used the big D ones. Why didn't they think of that? There's going to be a problem, I think, when you get further than a minute and you have to take out 160 batteries and put new ones in. Mm. But apart from that, it could be the technology of the future. They haven't thought of using an extension cord? I guess not. They could probably go further, couldn't they, at the moment? So how fast was this thing going? Well, we reckon, what, 400 metres in a minute? That's... Bags not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually about as fast as I run 400 metres in about a minute. So it's not that quick. It's not bad for batteries, though, is it? Right, so it's uh, either battery-powered planes or you could just jump on Mark's back and make him run you down to the shops. (laughs) (laughs) And in other news that didn't make the news this week, Professor David Garrard from Manchester University reckons they've made a breakthrough in a new drug which would wipe out asthma, eczema and hay fever. How are they connected? Well, a lot of people who suffer from one suffer from more than one. Um, They're both caused by allergies. And at the moment, in Western medicine, all we really do is try and get rid of the, the allergens, either by rigorous cleaning or just by avoiding places where you think you might encounter allergens. But what's this uh, new breakthrough done? What's the, what have they found? What are they doing now is they're giving people a pill which will actually prevent the allergies um, irritating um, either their lungs or their skin. So rather than just simply having to stay away from the things that avoid you, you can, you can take the pill and be immune to them. So they can almost need a, a normal life. They can mow the lawn. They can do things that <laughs> other people are forced to do. and they're, um, <laughs> Well, absolutely, and yes. It's, it's a huge increase in, in quality of life. Um, they're still at testing stage at the moment, but they're certainly looking quite promising. I have to admit, a pill would be much better than those icky, yucky inhaler things that they give people for asthma. I don't know if anybody's ever had one of those, but they're really not the nicest of medical treatments. I would hate to think about, you know, like they're in phase one of the research. What do they do? They get all these poor little allergy-prone people into a room, a room give them a cats. pill, yeah, <laughs> and just start throwing pollen at them or something. And at the other end, someone's throwing grass catchers in through the... Do you think you can pay to watch? <laughs> <laughs> but you did mention that they, it, it helps with hay fever, because that's a massive amount of the population are affected by that. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's simply another allergen, really, so anything that, that blocks um, uptake of allergens is going to be a very good idea. Um, at the moment, they've got a certain amount that they can do with antihistamines for um, mm. hay fever, but nothing but really works. There's all sorts of side effects with antihistamines. And yeah. Is this, you you think, can't drink for one of them. Do you think this will spread into other areas, like peanut allergies or allergies to chocolate? 
or something like that? Uh, we simply don't know, and they're talking about starting clinical trials in three years. Um, still looking for funding at the moment. Ah, okay. well, we could fund them by paying to watch yeah, the tests. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes, I, I would think that um, drug companies would jump on board because a lot of people would buy this, so why wouldn't they be backing it? Because they're going to sell less of the antihistamines that, yeah. that, you, that, you get after the, that you'd have to take after the fact. Uh, that block of antihistamine people. They're dangerous. Mm, the antihistamine <laughs> lobby, they're, they're a powerful bunch. Well, if you've got a bit of spare money you want to throw their way, get in touch with Professor David Garrard at Manchester University. And thanks for joining us for another week on Diffusion. Contributing this week was David Harcourt, Tilly Boleyn, Vanessa Gardos, Mark West and Matt Clark. We were all crammed today into the studios over at 2SER in Sydney. And producing this week was Tilly Boleyn with technical assistance by Matt Clark. Diffusion is sent around Australia via the Community Broadcasting Network. Or you can catch us on iTunes. I'm Jackie Pepper, and hopefully we'll see you again for another great week on Diffusion. Respectfully, I say to thee, I'm aware that you're cheating when no one makes me feel like you do. Upside down, boy, you turn me inside out and round and round. Upside down, boy, you turn me inside out and me.